IPC publishing in England to put out a new comic book in their comic book division that would be all science fiction based. Uh, and that comic was 2000 AD. It's a weekly anthology comic. It's been in print since February 1977 and it's still going today. When this episode comes out, um, issue 2042 will also come to new Jeez. stands. Um, oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's hard to encapsulate even like the three and a half years that we've covered so far in this show. Oh let alone the 40 years of the entire comic book. But here's some essential like terms to keep in mind, all right? Mm. Uh, the, the big three are Prog, Thrill, and Tharg, the PTT. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, a pro- so basically, so a Prog means every issue of 2000 AD is called a program or Prog. And each Prog, each issue of 2000 AD is about 30 pages long. At this point, it's almost entirely black and white, except for the covers and maybe two pages on the inside of the book. 2018 is an anthology comic, which means that instead of one story that goes in the whole issue, it has between four and six stories, all usually non-related to each other, each with different writers and artists and stuff. And honestly, that really helps keep the pacing up. Like, you've only got so much to work with, so if you can't keep people entertained, well... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that brings us to the second thing: thrills, which is each, a thrill is an individual story within 2000 AD. We sort of organize our our podcast around the thrills, so you'll hear all the Judge Ju- all the Judge Dread stories in a given month at once, instead of like doing four ju- covering Judge Dread four times as, as we go through each each prog. That's just sort of a programming note. I guess. Also, I should say an interesting thing I thought about um, 2000 AD is that the actual comics at this point look very newspapery to me. Like I've mm-hmm. I've seen a couple. Like you know, I I I have a couple um, products from this era, and they really look to me more like something that would come like in a Sunday paper as like a a, a supplement or something like that. They, yeah. Uh, like the like the it, they're really big, like almost square pages, and um. The cover is more new, and, and like the whole thing is newsprint as opposed to more sort of uh, glossy covers like American comics have had in this era. Uh, the the final term you, you need to know is Tharg. So, <laughs> in this era, many anthology comics had a character that sort of introduces or organizes the material inside the um inside the the uh the comic just because since stories can sort of trade in and out there'll be a a presenter character to sort of be a consistent face no matter what stories are featured inside the comic uh you you might want to think of it as uh, um another example might be like Rod Serling on the Twilight Zone TV show or uh, the Crypt Keeper for Tales from the Crypt you know? Hell yeah <laughs> In this case though we have 2080s alien editor named Tharg a green skinned The mighty one He's the mighty one a green skinned white mohawked alien from the planet Quaxon in the Beetlejuice system yeah, he eats plastic cups as his primary food, and he will tell you that he is incredibly mighty and awesome. Um, this is reiterated through every single comic. <laughs> indeed, he said he's the he's yeah he says he's the editor of the comic, and that the skyscraper that the 2000 AD and IPC magazines limited offices are in is actually his spaceship that he's has in comics used to fly through space to attack his his enemies, primarily the the dictators of Zrag. 
who are total jerks. Mm-hmm. In reality, the current editor of 2000 AD in our podcast timeline is Steve McManus, who was editor for like 10 years and actually has a uh, an autobiography out about his time in 2000 AD called The Mighty One in a reference to Tharg. Awesome. Yeah, other things... As well as thrills, we cover what I like to call um, non-thrills in the course of our podcast, which are basically any sort of non-story-related thing, most commonly stuff like uh, like covers of progs, letter columns, and editorials inside the individual um, um, comics. Also, as part of the podcast, we're covering non-prog 2080 content, which is mostly like the double-sized sci-fi special editions and the 2080 annuals. That both sort of come out in the summer and then later in the year. Then at the end of each calendar year, we also do an episode of, of the, uh, of the spinnies, which is our, um, award show that we use to sort of wrap up and reflect on that previous year. So, okay, good. Oh, wait, one last thing also. A question I get asked a lot is how to read along with the podcast. And it's kind of a sticky wicket at this point, I'd say. Um, what there, the fuck? There aren't really a lot of good legal ways to get big collections of these early progs um rebellion the company that owns 2000 ad sells a ton of collections though which and pretty much everything that we consider to be like a top thrill or worth reading is collected and available as either a hard or soft copy through the uh store that they have at 2000ad.com right now this includes these most of the subjects of our collected edition episodes, which we'll begin releasing this week, which I'm pretty excited about, and our uh, sort of um, collect like our coverage of a specific thrill of a storyline of a th- or of of a, of a storyline or a thrill collected in one place that you can just re- listen to straight through. I think it's gonna be pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, to uh, Re- Rebellion also sells physical and digital subscriptions to the current 2000 AD. <clears throat> Progs and the, the Judge Dread magazine, and they have archives that you can purchase, sort of as, as a, a, uh, in bundles that go back to about 2002. If you really want to read the Progs in their fully extant state, there are some ways to do it, but you're going to have to venture into the dark web to figure that out. And uh, you, you didn't hear it from me, anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> Mum's the word, etc. Yeah, like indeed. Uh, very quickly before we get to this week's thrills, let's. Um, I I'd like to get uh, some some time to talk about some previous thrills we've we've seen. So that if you're a new listener, here's just some episodes you might want to go back and listen to for some stories that we really enjoy. Um, hey, Fox, why don't you start us off with uh, your first pick for that? Uh, I would say like, and, and people who have been listening to the show for a while are probably going to roll their eyes a little bit but the first one that i would suggest uh to new listeners is uh flesh book one yeah flesh book one is a launch 2000 ad um thrill one of the first ones from prog one you can listen to to our coverage of it uh in episodes one through five yeah so the basic premise of flesh is like if you asked a child several things that they thought were cool somewhere around there you'd probably get cowboys and dinosaurs so they decided to like just smash these two concepts together and um using time travel a corporation in the super future sends cowboys back through time to herd dinosaurs for their meat to then send forward into the future where they don't have meat to sell at a ridiculously high price to families through like really bizarre means so like 
the story itself is amazing. Um, you know, there's obviously like a lot of fighting between these cowboys and dinosaurs. There is the main antagonist who is um, still, I believe, to this day, the strongest female character. Uh, right th- on this. I think that gives a short stiff to like Anderson and Hershey, but one eye is no, pretty Anderson, good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, like, I think we've seen more of Hershey than we have of Anderson. Both mm. are people that I like, but uh, definitely, uh, definitely so- until 1980. <laughs> <laughs> old old one eye, this massive T Rex who just is constantly hungry. Uh, it starts following around these cowboys uh, after massacring their um, kind of group. And these cowboys are traveling back to the time base where they were originally from while this T-Rex keeps gathering more and more and more flesh-eating dinosaurs to go and attack this time base. Eventually they do. They keep attacking the time base, throwing themselves at like laser grids and stuff like that. All of their blood matriculates down to the bottom of the base where a bunch of giant spiders attack everything goes to shit they go back into the future but oh my god a man has or a t-rex has turned into a three-headed t-rex man three heads of human beings on the body of a t-rex and then our protagonist (laughs) is arrested it is an amazing like i'm not even spoiling things for you you just have to read it the art is fantastic Mm. it's done by a one massimo bellardinelli absolutely great um one of the things that i was just constantly looking forward to when i uh, when i started reading these things really helped yeah flesh is super awesome and just again yeah, and, and and just a violent um dino destroying thing and yeah oh <laughs> they eat a kid yeah Adam definitely speaking total shit it was amazing and our it was definitely our joke that uh old one eye the this matriarch of t of t-rexes was the strongest female protagonist of um 2000 AD for at least the first three years, despite oh, having I, having at least one comic that specifically had a woman starring in it, but she was no good. Uh, it was pretty rough, man. Yeah. I'm like, I'm rooting for people, but old one eyes just too fucking cool, and mm-hmm. she has progeny that yeah. reverberate through all of the progs. It's true, yeah. She has a son and a grandson that both go on to um, cause massive havoc in the world of two in the world of, of uh, 2000 AD. Yeah. <laughs> so. My first suggestion is um, Invasion, which is a comic we covered in uh, episodes 1 through 15, the first 50 or so progs. Basically, Invasion is another 2008 launch prog. On January 1st, 1999, the evil Volgan Empire, that's basically, uh, you know, Eastern European commie Nazis, um, invade (laughs) invade England. Yeah, they uh, nuke the Midlands. They uh, shoot Margaret Thatcher on the uh, on the stairs of the state house and all this stuff, um, and then all seems lost until one rough, tough, blue collar truck driver, um, Bill Savage's wife and kid, are killed by the Volgans, and so he's forced to pick up his shotgun and fight for and uh, fight against these evil invaders. Amazing. Invasion is. Um, Typified by acts of extreme violence that Savage gleefully laughs through. <laughs> Ridiculous plans, over-the-top explosions, and just, yeah, just more more violence and more excellence. And just, like, it's just kind of like all the candy, like, 80s action movies tropes you can think of sort of tossed into one spot. It's really neat. Hey, remember that time he shot a helicopter and then it crashed into another helicopter? 
Mostly I remember the time that he backed a truck full of acid up into a factory and then he dumped all the acid into it and the factory filled up with acid and it burned everybody to skeletons. Oh my god. Hey, do you remember that one time that like they found an abandoned town and they were like hanging out in a hotel and he was taking a bath? And then the Volgans barged in on him and he like pulled out a rubber duck and he's like, oh yeah, it's a good rubber duck. But then it turned out that the rubber duck was uh, keeping the barrel of his shotgun dry and he shot the Volgans with the bath shotgun and he said, quack, quack, Volks. That was amazing. (laughs) This and more. Like it says something that uh, Invasion, I believe, kept getting some of our top thrill spots for like the longest time. It was definitely the, one of the longer running, like original thrills, and definitely one that we always looked forward to, and we're like, "Yes, we're doing this." Oh, it's so amazing! <laughs> there, there basically wasn't one uh, that we ever particularly hated if it wasn't just like some like bad annual version. Yeah. So what's what's your next um, suggested story, Fox? So uh, one of the worst things that ever happened to the comic. Uh, it follows a bell curve, is uh, this legacy superhero called Dan Dare. I, I've never heard of him before, this comic. Apparently, he's a pretty big fucking deal in Britain. Um, he's a moderate deal, but yes. Okay, we'll say, <laughs> say like, moderate deal. Um, but he's a, Yeah, he's, he's, he's like a Buck Rogers, basically. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's actually a pretty good encapsulation. So uh, when it first came out, the art was amazing, but the stories were garbage. Then uh, it stopped for a little while and it came back. And what I affectionately call Dan Dare's battle action playset, but it's uh, officially known as the Lost Worlds arc. Yeah, this is us uh, from we, we covered in uh, from episode eight to episode 24. A lot of, of our Dan Dare stuff. So. This is one of the most amazing things I've ever read. And like I I have I compiled a list a long time ago for one of our spinny episodes that I'm not gonna rehash because you guys should just go <laughs> through it. This is this is just it's absolutely fucking crazy. The man like just murders and genocides all over the place. Not not considering repercussions, all of it works out. He is just like so it, it starts out with him going to a wretched hive of scum and villainy to chart a crew to go to these places called the Lost Worlds. Specifically, he finds three very important people to the story, but mostly there are a bunch of criminals that he pays to get on this boat with him. Mm-hmm. Already a great idea. So the first one is Bear, a giant Russian dude who just beats the shit out of everything. <laughs> a, a, a guy with a pistol welded to his hand named Hitman, mm-hmm. and a generally forgettable character called Pilot, who, guess what he does? So they like they go into space and they kill space monsters and then genocide their planet. They like find these like this grouping of planets that these like super evil guys called the Star Slayers run, and they're really obsessed with stars and they have like space crucifixes full of people who fucked with them and then they fuck those guys up they they like go to a planet full of murderous foliage and then they genocide that they go to a planet like where there's like it's full of pilgrims that never progressed past like being pilgrims but then like like like, a buckles on the hats like thanksgiving day pilgrims (laughs) and like then they suddenly become worms or something and then drove a guy named Gunnar Johansson crazy and also by the way they're telepathic worms and they want to suck on your head and body that's right and then they kill all of them and then they go to like 
a water planet and commit some more genocide. Then they go to an ice world and they make up a character called like Joker or whatever, who like they find like this eternal fucking giant dude who's super sad and wants to just like kill himself but then he just listens to bad jokes and it resolves itself somehow yeah, and then, it's an all-powerful <laughs> space squid that loves ice puns it's pretty awesome dude and then eventually it just all goes to shit and it's it is possibly one of the most fun fucking things in the world to read it and this man is a cold ruthless murderer <laughs> Yeah, Dan Daryl definitely. If you mess with him, he'll blow up your planet. Like he's not, he's not shy about it. I can't, I can't stress that enough. They're just called planet destroyer bombs. Yeah, they destroy planets. (laughs) Oh God, it's amazing. Yeah, definitely. So my next story is um, the Strontium Dog Journey to Hell story. We're going to talk some more about Strontium Dog later in this prog. Um, or in, in this episode, I should say. But Strong Team Dog's Journey to Hell is basically just um, these bounty hunters, these space bounty hunters are searching for a guy. They end up traveling through dimensions into a dimension that seems like it's hell, basically, and just fighting all the demons and mount and a death and a horseman of death and flying gargoyles and mystic monsters and stuff of um, of hell. And oh, it's so good. Uh, it's it's it, it's the the arts by um 2000 AD master master artist uh, Carlos Escara and it's just does a really good job of bringing you into this world, make you care about these characters, and then having going on just over the top awesome adventures with them. It's de- it's a, so oh, much fun. It's really beautifully done, and it's like kind of the first foray into the Strontium Dog like world that we got. Uh, when we came around to this, and it's pretty damn awesome. Yeah, and and those and, and that's in episodes uh, thirty one through thirty four. Mm-hmm. So Remember, Mister Sun and Mister Moon. <laughs> always, dude, they're the mayor of the city of hate. They're the mayors of the city of hate, and they got reality bending powers. Just saying, like there is a city, and that city is called hate, mm-hmm. and it's awesome. You can't die. <laughs> well, you can't die, and um. Every day they give five tickets out of hell that the whole city fights over <laughs> for the whole day. <laughs> oh my god! Just God, read it. Yeah. Just read it. It's so good. So you have so what's so you have one last uh, story, Fox. I do. Um, so this one kind of came out of left field. It's it's fairly short. Uh, not too many episodes. It's called Fiends of the Eastern Front. Yeah, we covered that one from episode forty six to episode forty eight. So. Like, while short-lived, this is the most amazing uh, schlock ever. <laughs> um, so, vampires, right? And World War Two, right? Well, I like let's those just things. Smash, let's just smash those things together, okay? Whoa. Now, yeah, I know. <laughs> How's that work? Uh, fucking, like, a German uh, historian, now in, like, 1980 or 1970, finds this Nazi dude with a bunch of weird like picked well it's a dead skeleton yeah. nazi uh with a bunch of pictures of what are very obviously vampire silhouettes behind him <laughs> and he's holding a book that that has like his tail now there was i what was the what was the nation that the fucking vampires were from like romania i want to say like, like romania yeah. with a u yeah definitely not uh transylvania so anyway these guys um 
are are contracted by the Germans because their allegiance is to the Germans during this time. Yeah. And they're considered like this elite scouting squad. The minute that you see them, they are definitely a hundred percent vampires. Yeah. They look like vampires. They have giant billowy capes like vampires. They just happen to be in military garb. Yeah. Like the pop and collar like, and stuff like that. Oh, it's fucking great. And uh, this German dude over the course of maybe two issues is just like, Oh, I, these guys are vampires. <laughs> like, and uh, and is very wary of them for a very long time, and then suddenly they switch sides uh, because apparently the Russians have bought out or convinced their yeah. country to kind of work with them. You know, shifting allegiances and, with allies, and towards the end of the war, it's how it goes. You know, exactly. And so suddenly it becomes like him having to kill a bunch of fucking vampires. And I'm not going to spoil the end, uh, but it's pretty damn good. It is schlock. It is it is stupid fun, um, and I think that if you like mon- like stupid monster movie shit, like you'll love Fiends of the Eastern Front. Should have been a movie. <laughs> it's yeah. It's really I love Fiends of the Eastern Front because within the first issue, the uh, main character is like these guys are definitely vampires, which I <laughs> I appreciate because there's so many vampire things where they spend like the first half of the movie like being like what do they call this what do you call this kind of monster that drinks blood with two pointy <laughs> teeth and can turn into a bat like i don't know it must be something though like no dude it's vampires we all know yeah it. <laughs> like call them zombies if they're zombies you know call yeah. them a fucking werewolf if it's a werewolf call it a fucking vampire if it's a vampire or at least, anyway it's, yeah, yeah. Like, like you know the most tedious part of any uh, zombie movie is them trying to is them figuring out that you've got to hit him in the head to, to take him out. You know, oh, it's just so like, let's stupid. just get there so we can start this movie. You know, yep. he's the Eastern front takes no time with that. These guys are vampires. We all know what vampires <laughs> are. Let's go. Yep. And, uh, and hilarity ensues. Indeed. So my last story is, um, the immortal ABC warriors. Oh, fucking ABC Warriors! ABC Warriors! Um, we covered them on Progs 34 through 42. So, ABC Warriors is, man, <laughs> it's every kind of story you can think of. But basically, um, in the aftermath of, inva- of the war in invasion... <laughs> Of oh. fighting back the Volgans. The war lasts so long that human troops on both sides are replaced by robot warriors. This is just too many casualties. Yeah, eventually we see uh, an elite squad of these robot warriors, the ABC warriors, because they're resistant to atomic back, uh, biological and chemical attacks, be recruited by a military leader to um, go on a huge mission spanning the planet Mars. It's oh. it, The comic starts with, th- with uh, three robots recruiting four other ones, and they're all really very different characters, and they have to do a bunch of different, like even just kinds of stories to recruit them and stuff. God, and each one is so awesome. Each one of them is awesome. When they get to Mars, they have a ton of adventures, also of different genres. There's like straight-up horror stories. There's stories of redemption. There's at least one story where, relating back to Fox's thing, the uh, the one of the descendants of Old One-Eye is an armored T-Rex that rich people ride to hunt people for sport on Mars. Oh, so awesome. <laughs> it's really, it's got everything you want if what you want involves robots and explosions. Um and it's highly recommended so good (laughs) there wasn't a single uh like prog that they were in that that was not just 
fucking awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Hey, so, Fox, enough of this talking about old stuff. Yeah? We got to talk about new stuff. We got to get going with this week's progs, buddy. Oh, man, the new stuff is so good. It's so fucking good. That's right. Let's get to it with Thrill One Strontium Dog. So, script robot for Strontium Dog. Oh, man, I always forget to mention this. But yeah, all of the other conceit of 2000 AD is that it's edited by, by, it's edited by an alien and all of the artists and writers and letterers are robots that he owns. Yep. So, the script robot for this, um, for this story is Alan Grant, the art robot Carlos Escara, the lettering robot Steve Potter. So, the year, it's like the 2170s. Uh, yeah. And mutant bounty hunter Johnny Alpha and his Scandinavian Viking partner Wolf are on the trail of Duncan Pizzer, a.k.a. Big Dunky. He's got a really weird head. Like, mm-hmm. there's a tumor going on in the back of that thing. Yeah, he's like a weird mutant guy, I guess. But anyhow, just so you know, in uh, like 2150, there's a big nuclear war. It spread the element strontium-90 all over the place. It got in people's bloodstreams which then mutates them in weird and unpredictable way. ways. In the case of Johnny Alpha, it gives him these silver eyes that can see through walls or force people into giving him information. Other mutants do stuff like grow, grow these like little columns of bones out of their skull that might be covered in fur, just be a torso, like no head, have a moose oh. head, or maybe yep. even just be, have things that make them just be like a vampire, basically. But, it's kind of it's either you get it and it's awesome or you get it and it's the worst. Mm-hmm. But all that all that diff, all those mutants are for later. For right now, just be aware that this is the distant future. There's multiple inhabited planets, there's mutants, advanced weaponry and stuff that uses time manipulation, though not actual time travel for the most part. Anyhow, it's big, so great. big donkey, I hold the termination warrant on you and I'm calling you out. And then a bunch of, like, what is blatant racism happens towards mutants generally. Yeah, there's tons of anti-mutant, like, mutism. Everybody hates mutants and sort of calls them bad and get out of town and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So this is the story of a story called Death's Head. We're on the planet Laredo. And it basically just looks like a western town like you'd see in, like, a Clint Eastwood or John Wayne movie. Yeah, they've been on that kick for a minute. I mean... Strontium Dog especially is a very kind of Western science fiction story for sure. Definitely. So it's time for a good old gunfight. But when Dunky goes for his guns, he reveals he's got an extra set of arms. Oh, man. But he ain't no mutant. He just had them surgically implanted. Yeah, four arms, one for each of you. But that won't help him against Johnny Alpha, who guns him down on the street to the horror of the townsfolk. We're like, what the hell, man? Muty's just shooting people. It's terrible. And then Wolf just gets in people's faces. It's great. Because yeah, it was a stasis beam. He knocked Dunky out so they so he could interrogate him. Because Dunky's bounty isn't actually that bad. They're going after the real money, Willie Blanco. We... And it turns out that's the guy who gave this dude his second set of arms. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to loan to somebody, your, your arms. Yeah, yeah it's kind of weird mm-hmm. i kind of want my arms <laughs> i mean you know johnny uses his mutant eyes on donkey but all he sees is an evil face and his own grave Ooh, yeah. be prepared johnny reacts fast he tosses donkey away and takes cover as donkey's second set of arms begin to glow and then explode into flame 
really sucks for Dunky, yeah. who turns into a smoldering pile of ash. Exactly. Um, the boys sort of gather up the cinder and head out with Johnny shaken by the vision of his own grave. That's uh, kind of creepy. Wolf <laughs> also throws a dude into the mud. <laughs> Meanwhile, Get back out of our face. Exactly. Back at the mutant hotel, Johnny and Wolf's alien medic, the gross slash cute multi armed alien, the Gronk. Uh, I love the Gronk. It's so funny just because now when I say the Gronk, I think of uh, that football player um, Gronkowski, and it's like, oh, oh yeah. man, like he's either a medic or a gigantic partying tight end, <laughs> one of those two. <laughs> um, but um, Gronk laments back and forth. Yeah, he laments because yeah. he's been left behind and he's tired of it. When suddenly a bunch of armed dudes looking for our guys show up. And take him hostage. He passes out. Exactly. Meanwhile, like immediately. Yeah. Well, you know the Gronks. Not Gronks aren't meant for um, excitement. You know they got they got weak hearts. Oh. Meanwhile, Johnny and Wolf head to the police department to collect on Big Donkey's bounty, and we learn that there's a camera in Johnny's helmet that sort of taped the whole thing just to prove that like the uh, charred corpse they're turning into the police station is in fact Big Donkey's. Which, not only is it smart, but it really helps when all of the racist-ass police officers are giving you a hard time, and you're like, nah, man, I got this. It's so. tough when you go to the police station, and they're like, we don't want your kind here. Like, you're supposed to be helping people, dude. Yeah. Come on, buddy. We're strong yeah. to him, dog. Like, that's the thing, is, like, it's it's interesting seeing, like, the back and forth of, like, strontium dogs are a thing that are clearly necessary because they it's a service that's been made. Yeah, but everybody but hates no them. One, yeah, it's like fucked, man. So uh, the the pair return to their hotel, Mason's Mutel, and spend right. yeah they spend some of their hard hard earned bounty money to let a three headed mutant have a place to stay. And they do so by shoving it in the mouth of the asshole innkeep who was like turning the three headed dude away. Yeah, what the hell? Every mutants have a tough dude. Um, yeah, man. As they enter their room, Johnny has a prickle of suspicion, and he checks through the wa- through the wall with his X ray vision to see a trio of goons in their room. So what does Wolf do? He smashes the wall and with a giant hammer, which also collides with the dude. <laughs> Absolutely. Then Johnny comes in and guns down another one. The third guy runs, and Johnny shoots him with a tracer bullet so they can follow him. Perfect. These guys are marked as being Blanco's men, so following them will lead them to their bounty. The pair prepares to head out, but staying at the Mutel has turned out to be too exciting for Gronk and his poor hearts. So now he is Cummings with you. Yeah, man. Next time. Which, oh, good. Oh, I was going to say, which might not be the best idea, but it's all right, Gronk. Hey, you know, it'll be fun, man. Put Gronk on the adventure he wants to go. Yeah. <laughs> Next time, the man who said no to Willie Blanco. I'm guessing it didn't turn out super great. I mean, absolutely not is what my guess is. If he's willing to explode your arms that he, he fucking His own arms. You. His own arms that he gave yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> which... I guess he's not really attached to them. Oh, you son of a bitch. Now we got to move <laughs> on to our next prog just to get away from the pun with Thrill 2, the mean arena. Oh, God, I'm so excited that future sports are back, dude. I'm so excited for future sports. <laughs> Script robot for mean arena is Tom Tully. Art robots, John Richardson. Lettering robot is Pete Knight. So it's, so, it's Saturday, October 1st, 2021. The world's most popular sport is street football. Oh, hell yeah. 
It's a mixture of rugby American football and soccer. It's played in specially evacuated sections of towns and cities, with each side stalking the other through the streets and buildings therein. And mind you, like, the first little box that we see there's just a dude holding an axe in like armor (laughs) yeah it's true yeah when we started um covering 2000 ad in the first Prague, there's a there was a thrill called harlem heroes that was a story about a team of aeroball guys which was basically sort of this game that was kind of like i want to say was kind of like full contact basketball with jetpacks would would be my Uh, best answer yeah and kung fu yeah well i mean that's part of the full contact right (laughs) Yep. And then when that story ended, it had a sequel that was called Inferno, which was a sport that we never really figured out the full rules for. (laughs) (laughs) There were motorcycles and cavemen and giant caves and fucking fire some yeah there was yeah like somehow things got super super hot and like the ball like was frictionless and yeah and you had to throw it into a score cave and so the goalie was called the caveman and there was a lot of stuff sometimes yeah there were jetpacks and motorcycles and the guys in the motorcycles had harpoons they could shoot at the guys in the jetpacks and stuff i don't know there was a lot going on So when we say that we're excited for future sports you really need to understand like Mean Arena already, like, starting off interesting. Yeah, but that, that's, yeah, and then Inferno got really controversial and had to be canceled. Um, oh, yeah. And so we haven't had sort of future sports since then. And I th- and both Fox and I are very big proponents of these sort of <laughs> future sports. And I think sports stories in general in comic books. It's this weird thing where in, in England, or I feel, or in English comics at least, there's this whole, whole thing of these different comic book um, genres where they got like a lot of war comics they got a lot of sports comics like one of their big comic book characters is this dude Roy of the Rovers where Rovers is like a is a is a, is a, is a soccer team or a, a football team I guess they'd call it um, and he's like a classic comic book dude and like you know this and like the comic is like you know what's Roy and his team gonna do in the division this year and you know will they make it to the premiership or blah 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 um, and there's just this nothing cooler than that because there's murder. Yeah. Well, but I'm just saying that, um, all that stuff's so weird to me as an American where all of our comics are <laughs> about superheroes. They're 100% about superheroes. Oh um, yeah. Like, and so the idea of a comic that's about sports is like really exotic to me almost. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we come to the sports comic in 2000 AD, which I think we're both all, yeah, just because we loved Harlem Heroes a lot as well. Um, the idea of going back to future sports is really neat. And here we are in Mean Arena with the god dang uh, future sports. <laughs> it's, future sports. We're here in the British third division of street football. Uh, the uh, Warriors versus the Slayers. Yeah, the uh, the Wakefield Warriors are beating the uh, Slaters Slayers seventy five to nineteen. The action, yeah, it's there. The Slayers are getting slayed. The action's <laughs> being called by flamboyant commentator Kevin O'Connor, and he really hates the Slayers. And he seems like a real dick anyway. Definitely seems like a huge dick. <laughs> Um, as one of this, as one Slayer, this guy Red Rogan gets a red spot, which I yeah, and gets ejected. So it's basically like a red card, I guess. Um, be for, for his temper, yeah, for fighting because he got he lost his temper and stuff. So the Warriors score again, and we learn a little bit about the game. There's a small lacrosse style goal somewhere in like a big city street, uh, cityscape. 
Goals are worth three points. Um, every, uh, everyone's wearing armor and there are a, a couple of different player roles. There's like s- some guys who have big shields that they carry around. Other yeah, guys, the other guys shoot, uh, have boomerangs they can throw called screamers with a K and three E's in various places that they can throw at people. Um, also the teams can conceal seven CCTV cameras around the arena area just to keep an eye on like different spots in case the enemy team goes through them. But if you're on an opposing team and you find someone's camera, you can destroy it. It's pretty neat. Yeah. So there's some, some team member who gets to carry a hatchet. I think these like runners. (laughs) There's there's apparently a bunch of different weapon rolls and other things like that. (laughs) Great. Back in the game, things are looking even worse for the Slayers as one of their players, while running to possibly score, has a massive internal hemorrhage and dies. Apparently, this sport attracts a lot of people who are basically on their deathbed. Right, because you'll die anyway in the course of the game. (laughs) What the fuck ever, I guess. The Slayers need an extra man, and who just walked in the door? Why, only Matt Talon, the greatest street footballer the United States ever produced. The Shadow of St. Louis. But what's he doing in England? And why would he want to join a crappy team like the Slayers? And then we cold open to uh, that asshole singing a song about the dude who just died yeah o'connor sings a sad no a funny sad country song about the kid that they're carting off on a stretcher like covering a sheet with his helmet on top of his body because he's dead (laughs) and like even the onlookers is like damn this guy yeah Anyhow, we learned that Rule 13 of street football means that if you only have seven uninjured players left, you can uh, recruit new players from volunteers in the stands. Which, all right. <laughs> Lots of people volunteer, including one guy who is so stoked to join, he falls off the top of a building and dies. Um, yep. But there's really only one choice to take join the team and that's the guy wearing the and that's the high-heeled boots of matt talon <laughs> <laughs> leather jacket big belt buckle i'm here wait but wasn't he dead i thought he died matt talon's the greatest the greatest street footballer ever was uh, people oh are God. people are, are pretty incredulous about the shadow of st louis showing up to play for this garbage team but hey play on Talon, Especially O'Connor, who's like, nah, this guy's a total fake. Yeah. Talon suits up and play resumes. Talon gets the ball and, and uh, makes a play for it when one, or, and, and makes a break for it when one of the Warriors blockers, a guy named Carpenter, gets the drop on him and goes for a tackle. As he does, Talon suddenly pulls out a gun and shoots Carpenter in the face, last Boy Scout style. Dude, his head explodes. Hey, he I, explodes. I said he shot him in the face. I stand by my statement. it's not just like a gentle lasering Mm -mm, it's not he doesn't just fry his face he explodes it next episode (laughs) street murder question mark exactly man this this fucking thing is cool one of my favorite parts is like right when he gets into the game Mm -hmm. four dudes come rushing at him and then they all collide with each other, not knowing where the fuck he went. And suddenly yeah. he's just running down a side street and then shoots a dude. Exactly. Yeah, man, he's real, real good at street football. You know, that's what he does. I, I'm just surprised they allow guns and head explosions in the game. I mean, everybody, se- everybody seems pretty surprised by this eventuality, I will say. <laughs> so Yeah. 
It seems like like it could be a problem for the Slayers that their new dude is just blasting dudes for no reason. <laughs> you get a red card, man. Don't don't be fucking crazy. Ah, uh, red card. That's ridiculous. Yellow at best for shooting dudes yeah, in the face. Talking about because <laughs> you need Put a, a warning. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, those the those the laws of street football, Fox. And speaking of the law, Fox. Oh, hell yeah. Thrill 3, Judge Dredd. I love Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd, he's a 21st... No, I guess he's a, he's a 22nd century future cop. Combine two-thirds of the Stallone movie with, like, one-third of the Carl Urban movie, and then cook it with that with the Anthrax Judge Dredd song. Truth and justice are what he's fighting for. Judge Dredd the man, he is the law. Dude. Fear the badge he earned or no, sorry, respect the badge he earned it with his blood. Fear the gun, your sentence might be death because I am the law. Anyhow, Dude, um, awesome. <laughs> so Judge Dredd, man, his uniform doesn't make a lot of sense. He never takes off his helmet. <laughs> Currently he's traveling he's traveling the galaxy to save the psychic the powerful psychic known as the Judge Child from the evil angel gang who were those um country or who, who were those southern accent ca- cannibals in the first judge dread movie it's um, fucking weird yeah it's good man the big showdown starts now so a bunch of villagers in this town what they what the angel gang went into were like hey if we don't kill you they're going to kill us so we're going to have to kill you now mhm uh, I should say that uh, the uh, script robot for Judge Dredd is John Wagner writing as John Howard. Art robots are Mick McMahon and Ron Smith. Lettering robots, Tom Frame. Tom Frame! Tom Frame! Tom Frame, long-running 2080, and especially Judge Dredd letterer. Um, sort of starts in Prague 4, ends around Prague 1500. <laughs> <laughs> It's so awesome. Yeah, so like Fox was saying, in the town of Drybone on the planet Xanadu, which is not unlike the planet Laredo that we saw in Strontium Dog, basically just another small western town. Yeah, bunch of thugs, human and otherwise, have been sent by the Angel Gang to take down Dread. This is a mistake on their part. <laughs> oh. Dude, I'm the one you should be afraid of. Mm-hmm. Dread takes them all down hand-to-hand because he's just a dude-beaten machine after 15 years in the Academy. Oh man, I loved that. Uh, those little pieces, you know, it's just a just big... like fifteen years of iron discipline, rigid self control, concentrated aggression. <laughs> you can't mess with them. He takes them all out as a Link and Mead Machine Angel look on. They know it's time to run, uh-huh. and but first assassinate Judge Dredge. They activate Plan B. They put on lady clothes and sneak up on the lawman. Dude, but not before putting a hanger in like the clothing store man's mouth and hanging him on the rack. It's they're so evil. It's really the most <laughs> horrible thing ever. It's yeah, because they do it all nonchalantly too. They don't even talk about it. Like if you didn't, if you don't look at the pictures, you never pick up on the fact that they just tortured this dude and left him hanging from a big clothes hanger in his mouth, basically. <laughs> disgusting and so bad this is a good time to mention that judge shred's being led by a uh dude named old joe who was blinded no. along with his horse no by his, the angel his name's gang. his name is old blind joe it used to just be old joe and then he was blinded by the angel gang 
That's right. <laughs> and now he is powered purely by hate and can just sense when the angel gang's yeah. around. Even though his head's completely wrapped in bandages, he can still sense the angel gang coming as he does now, even though they're dressed like ladies. They're right there. Judge Dredd, look out. Pew-pew. Judge Dredd opens fire. He blows off Mean Machine's human left arm. Now he all, all he has is his giant robot claw right arm. Not too much of a problem, really. Mean Machine's going to be without left arm basically for the rest of Judge Dredd now, until this day. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, but that's a spoiler. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. That's um, all right. Anyhow, um, the ain't... Uh, the angels run, and Dredd gives chase. He quickly gets separated from old blind Joe, who is in turn attacked by Link. Meanwhile, Mean Machine box Dredd with a mighty headbutt. Dredd goes flying in the same uh, barn where like Link is attacking uh, old blind Joe. And then Mean comes in. He's like in the, mo- like in the Sal- Salone movie. He's got a dial on his forehead that goes up, that starts at one and goes up to four in terms of level of aggression and um, insanity, basically. And this time he goes all the way to four. Oh, snap. But yeah. Joe's got this covered. It's bad and it gets even worse when Dredd hits him in the forehead with a chain, putting Mean on four and a half. This turns Mean Machine Angel into an uncontrolling headbutt machine. He headbutts his own brother to death and runs around town killing just random folks, headbutting. Finally, he headbutts a gas pump at a gas station, causing a massive explosion. It's pretty awesome. He, like, it's just he's zipping around, smashing everything with his forehead. That's the sound of headbutts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Two angels down, two to go. Mount back up, old blind Joe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Pa and Junior Angel, the remaining two members of the Angel Gang, along with the Judge Child, Owen Chrysler, are driving a sweet dune buggy into the land <laughs> of the fugitive robots ruled by the Grunwalder. Oh, I'm so excited. They come under attack from Robo Mosquitoes, while, um, and eventually the Grunwalder has one of those mosquitoes turn into a telephone. <laughs> <laughs> and then they use it to communicate with the angels. Just be like, what are you doing here, guys? Yeah. Basically, they say, hey, we want a sanctuary, and to get it, we'll give you this awesome kid with a eagle birthmark on his forehead that can tell the future inerrantly. Yeah. Grunwald's pretty interested by this. He's like, all right, let's see if this is for real. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not going to call off my robots. Yeah. I would say he's skeptical because he's like, yeah, come on through, but you're going to have to fight your way through to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We'll welcome you at the door. You just got to get there. Exactly. Yeah. The, the robots, the angels have to fight on their way there include a bunch of hairy robots covered in yeah, the scalps the of humans. Oh, my taken. God. Yeah. You got to think about it. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Dread also enters the realm of the Grunwalder, immediately grabs a mosquito and like talks on the phone to the ro- to the robot leader. He demands safe passage because he serves the law and the Grunwalder agrees because he also takes the measure of Dread, knows that he'd like lose way too many dudes trying to stop Dread, basically. But not just that. It's like they make a comment. They're like, damn, he sounds like a fucking robot. Yeah. Not too dissimilar from us. Yeah. Ooh. Um... Oh, man. So the angels make camp as the judge child goes into a trance and then prophesizes the death of both of them. After Uh, mentioning, of course, that the other two are dead. mm -hmm. Being a total dick as usual. This kid is a jerk. Junior Angel attacks the judge child for his jerk prophecy while Dredd puts together (laughs) a massive sniper rifle. 
which is aw- it's really really long. Mm-hmm. Like I don't. It's like more tall than he is. It's, it's really just weird. called the long gun. Ugh. Paw Angel gets Junior calmed down, and then is shot in the chest by Dread from twelve kilometers out. Oh my God, Paul! Next episode, and then there was one, and then the end. Now, also next episode, the Judge Child Saga will conclude. Oh, what really? Yep. Oh man, gear up, buddy. That's awesome. Yeah, this was like such a cliffhanger, dude. Totally. Yeah, it's uh, what's gonna happen with Paul getting shot? Like, what's gonna happen with Dread and the Judge Child? This Judge Child seems like a real jerk, man. I don't want him to be. Chief Judge of Mega City One, like he's supposed to be, like some truth telling, truth telling, like jerk kid. No way. Manipulates the future, and he said as much in the past. Like he, yeah, definitely. In previous episodes, we've seen him cause people to die by prophesizing their death, basically. Mm -hmm. Which you know, creating self fulfilling prophecies and stuff, which aren't really. Again, what you're looking like, this kid's been prophesized that he'll be the chief judge of Mega City One when a big thing occurs 18 years from now. Um, and so, you know, it's a questionable thing. It's something you got to think about, you know? Yeah, I am not the biggest fan of this kid. When he was like the silent kind of one, it sort of was more. Yeah, I mean, but then he was just a cipher. Like, you didn't even know what he was. He was just like a pawn. And now we're starting to get to see him at all. And it's like, I, and you you just don't like what you see, you know? No, exactly. Yeah. Ugh. Hey, uh, anyhow, let's go to our middle section with non-thrills, covers, nerve center, prizes, dash, decent, and the space mobile. Ugh. Or mobile? Whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. Pro- Prog 178, uh, Mick McMahon draws a sweet Judge Dread back in Mega City 1, Britain's number one sci-fi hero. Uh, this is also, I really like this. It, it's gone from like, so it was 2000 AD in Star-Lord, 2000 AD in Tornado. Now it's just 2000 AD featuring Judge Dread. Yeah, it's going to be that basically for the foreseeable future, I think. Like maybe until like, you know, the 90s or something like that. It's just going to be 2000 AD featuring Judge Dread. That's great. Um, this prog came with a free Judge Dread uh, badge, although they say it's a badge, but I'd say it's more of a pin, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still cool. This is the first time that 2080s had a prize in it since like Prog 3 or something. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because. Um, or Prog 1, right? Space well, Spinner. Space Spinner in one, then in Prog two they had like these uh, cyborg stickers <laughs> oh, <God>. that <laughs> the fucking stickers looked ridiculous and apparently were really hard to get off. Like they had a bunch of like like Steve McManus sort of writes about um, in his book like mo- like moms calling the 2080 offices because they couldn't get these cyborg stickers off their kids with soap and water oh. and they had like picture day or had to go to church or something like that. And then, oh my god! <laughs> in Prog three they had a uh, an invasion themed like uh packet of like a uh, spy stuff basically complete with like a decoder ring and stuff um, which was used for a little while and then yeah, it's not again i mean well like after like a couple after like two months you can't expect kids to still have that thing you know <laughs> mm, that's pretty fair like just because there's no way to get more of them and at some point the comic just stops being on new shelves you know yep but um, but it's actually a real testament to how well 2008D is doing that they haven't had to have the uh, an insert like this. Like, mm. 
having stuff in your comic means that you're trying to drum up business. Basically, you're trying to get people to buy an issue of your comic so that they'll like it because it comes, you know, that you'll buy an, an, an issue of a British comic because it's got a spud gun in it. <laughs> Right, and you some buy, free swag. And you buy it for the spud gun, and then you read it, and you're like, oh, this is pretty good, I'll buy the next one. You know, 2000 AD's been doing yeah. well enough that they don't have to do that at all. And they just did it this time because they were sort of trying to do a rebrand, or like a re... This is sort of a soft relaunch, basically, this issue. Mm. is sort of McManus trying to be like, all right, we've got a new editorial set up in here. Um, we got new thrills, we got new stuff, so let's just go out with a we're, bang with We're pretty much Fleetway's best. Yeah, well, IPCs, but yeah, basically. IPC, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's no letters in this, uh, prog. Instead, we just get a rundown of Tharg, his unstoppable hyperpowers, a bunch of mm. phrases from his Zarjaz Skrotnig language. Um, and, and a reminder, of course, that he is the mighty one. Indeed. I should also say that apparently a lot of the alien words that Throg uses, that, that Tharg uses like Zarjaz and Skrotnig are actually misspellings that 2080 writers put in their scripts by accident. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> also, this prog we get Dash Decent, which is a new single-page comedy strip. It's uh, bas- we've had bad luck with comedy strips in the past. We kind of continue to here. Um, I say it's art. I mean, it's somewhat self-aware, but yeah. it's still just like uh, yeah. This one's basically spoofing Buck Rogers and basically everything it comes across. Like this is sort of a one-page strip. It's or it's got or it's two pages in the first one. It's got like twelve panels. Every panel has has minimum two jokes in it. Minimum two jokes. Yeah, it's not great. And, I mean, look, uh, Kevin, you're doing such great work elsewhere, man. What is this? Fox giving advice to 39 years ago, Kev O'Neill. I love it. <laughs> but <laughs> basically, a meteor is flying straight at Earth. A lisping doctor needs a sacrifice to send up in his walket to wit us of this threat. They send. And I really wish Walter wouldn't come back in my other comics. <laughs> they send Janitor Dash Decent, who heads to the observatory in a speeding uh, taxi cab. Through a series of adv- of events, Dash, the professor, and the cabbie, who is a lady, all end up aboard the rocket, uh, stopping just short of crashing into into the meteor because the rocket runs out of gas. And the one uh, joke that I thought was kind of funny. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the meteor turns out to be a full size planet full of uh, intelligent life. Including talking worms and big old talking warrior elephants, and that's uh, a cliffhanger. Plot twist: the lady is the smart one. <laughs> Mid Prague, there is both a fun advertisement for uh, Empire Strikes Back toys. That's sort of a full page yeah. like comic book, just sort of recapping early or the start of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And the first of the Judge Dread T-shirt contest, where you have to cut. Like sort of, you know, badges from the pages of the progs for four weeks in a row for a chance to win a T-shirt, which is a a, a big deal at the time because there hadn't up until this point there hasn't been like an official Judge Dread T-shirt, and kids are apparently very anxious to to get one. They've been asking for them in letter pages and stuff. Yeah, definitely. So on Prog 179, we have a very nice Strontium Dog family photo draw, drawn by Carlos Escara, of course. Um, yep. Dash Decent tries to fight the elephant guys, but it's no use. Instead, Ugh. the humans are all taken to the palace of Emperor Pong. The plant, the uh, palace is built on a giant spring. And I'm not going to, I don't want to freak you out, Fox. But honestly, mm-hmm. the events of these two Dash Decent comics are terrifyingly similar to, the, to what's happened in Meltdown Man this, this episode. As we'll see yeah. later. <laughs> um, anyhow, 
whatever. He goes, they go to Emperor Pong. We'll see what happens next uh, in a Prog 181. Also in this Prog, so, there's a full-color, full two-page green car- cross code fuck. ad. <laughs> God damn it! Like, uh, can we Which not is- just have, like, these comics be sacred without this fucking... Like, and it's color pages. It's fucking color pages that they put this green cross code crap in. Green cross Ugh. code is a public service announcement in England to teach kids to look both ways before watch before uh, crossing the street. Fox hates the green cross code because no child like okay. That's so not true, off, dude. You gotta teach kids off, to look both ways. They don't yeah. know how to do it automatically. I guarantee <laughs> that the fucking comic book wasn't the first one to do that. Yeah, but you and- gotta drill it into them because kids are dumb, dude. <laughs> I have better faith in children than that. First off, this thing starts with a child (laughs) jumping in front of the car, and then, as I can only imagine, he's still in front of it, then thinking, I should have used the green cross code, then displaying how to use the green cross code. Is this child dead? Is he maimed? Did he get the ball? We don't know. It's just like in this alternate reality. It just reminds you I didn't... I mean... Yeah. I, I, I saw like film strips and movies exactly about this stuff when I was a kid. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Any, anyhow, anyhow. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I hate the dummies. I hate the Green Cross man. I hate like, oh God, it's just public service crap. Green Cross code by the, the uh, Green Cross man, the representative of the uh, Green Cross code, by the way, is the guy who's inside the suit for Darth Vader. But anyhow, um, cool. we fine. go to the nerd. To the nerve center where Thar gives editor gives an editorial and they print like fan art and letters and stuff. Um, the Gronk, Tharg the Gronk was uh, yeah. There's a picture of a uh, Tharg mixed with the Gronk from Strong Team Dog. It's pretty excellent. Yep. Um, Tharg kind of gives Tharg basically gives a uh, the uh, the nerve center is three is a uh, two pages now and in the middle of the comic instead of at the start. Yeah, kind of neat. Yeah, Tharg demands quality letters and art, no tracing, and promises to give prizes of between three and ten pounds for your contribution. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, this week, yeah, there's Tharg, there's a Tharg the Gronk. There is a question about a stainless steel rat movie. No, the kid suggests it being starring Clint Eastwood, which is ridiculous because the stainless steel rat's obviously James Coburn. And it's just that I think everybody who writes into these letters loves Clint Eastwood because they always suggest him for roles, be it Judge Dredd or Johnny Alpha or Strontium Dog or whatever. Or Strontium, or Strontium Dog or Stainless Steel Rat. Yeah. Um, who is J.R.? Dude, yeah, a, a letter asks if Tharg knows who shot who shot JR. Thaw gives the correct answer, which is who cares. Uh in in reality, the person who shot the character of JR Ewing in the uh American television show Dallas in 1980. Oh, that was a okay. huge deal and they basically spent like 8 months advertising to watch the season premiere cuz you'll find out who shot JR. Uh and it, it ended up being Kristen, FYI. Anyhow. <laughs> Farg's response: Who cares? I was just like, yeah, I don't know who this is. So yeah, it was a it was a big marketing campaign for a, a soap opera at the time. Got you. Um, at the end of this prog, there's a color page as you're supposed to cut out to make a Judge Dread mobile, which is you know one of those things that sort of hangs from a coat hanger over a baby's crib and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's Neat. pretty fun. Yeah, although honestly, relating this thing to coat hangers after what uh, the mean gang, the the ancient <laughs> gang just did with coat hangers in this episode makes it kind of disturbing. You know, <laughs> don't try this at home, kids. But you know, here's something fun that you can do with a coat hanger. Yeah, all right, arts and crafts. Yeah, why not? Hmm. Uh, one last question before we move on from this: Please. the dash decent villain. 
has a medallion on that says save the bomb. I don't know. It could just be yeah, like a save the, we- save the Whales reference or something, but instead it's bombs? Yeah, I guess so. It could be anything. So much of Dash T-Shirt is full of like these weird, is full of, pop cu- is full of both regular jokes and pop culture jokes, and I've just decided, I just give up on the pop culture jokes. Like, getting, a- getting jokes about 80s pop, pop, uh, about 80s British pop culture for a 2017 American is very hard. It's very hard to Google this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. But hey, speaking of things that are hard to Google, Fox. <laughs> really? Well, just because actually it's not, but um, just because you're stuck <laughs> in an alternate dimension full of uh, animal dudes. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can't really use Google then. It's... Maybe they have like Animoogle or something. I don't Ooh. know. Anyhow, Thrill Four Meltdown Man. So Meltdown Man, script robot. Alan Hebden, art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, lettering robot Jack Potter. Bellardinelli's back! Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah, man. This dude is, like, the artist. He's definitely, like, he's definitely one of my top, like, five, I want to say, 2080 artists. Like, he definitely is one, like, like maybe top two, even him and Carlos is scare. It's hard to, um, it's hard to balance them sometimes. But, um, yeah, so we open in the oil fields of the Persian Gulf where SAS Sergeant Nick Stone is taking down terrorists. But what he thinks is just a car bomb is actually a tactical nuke, and it's set to go off in 10 seconds. So, fuck it. I guess I'll just enjoy my last remaining moments. Yeah, well, there's nothing he could do. He's a hard ass, man. He doesn't freak out. He's just like, well... He okay. knows even if he ran for 15 minutes, he'd still be melted by the blast of the bomb. So he might as well hang out and enjoy being the first meltdown man. Oh, shit. Uh, Fox, you should know that this is the only time that meltdown-based wordplay basically happens in this comic, which runs for 50 issues. Oh, my God, so, really? Yeah, so kids who miss this first one will basically spend the next 40 weeks writing into 2000 AD asking when this dude is going to fucking melt and not getting good answers. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love that. I love that anecdote. <laughs> oh. It's from it's from the Mighty One by Steve McManus. But he's like, yeah, they write in and they're like, when's, it, when's, this, when's Nick Stone going to melt? What they call him? What the meltdown man? <laughs> he made out of ice cream. <laughs> oh no, he'd be a walking ice lolly because they don't call it ice cream over oh, there. Man. Or he's Weird. like a like a human. Ch- Is he a human chalk ice? <laughs> but so. Oh, right. <laughs> Excellence. Only the best here on Space Spinner Two Thousand. Accents you wouldn't believe. This is your future. <laughs> so after. Wow. After a page of exposition that basically establishes Nick as both a cat lover and a badass eye patch wearing dude killer, we <laughs> see that he might not be dead after all. Instead, in fact, in a weird place. Yeah, he wakes up on the side of a river with an awesome helicopter with just a lot of skull imagery on it flying overhead. <laughs> And two harpoons just ready to launch. Yeah, they're chasing two people. They harpoon one of them right in the back. Nick- the other one, which they don't kill because he has her duck, is a totally hot lady who is also kind of like a cat. Yeah, she's got like cat-like features, I'd say. Like, yeah, exactly. She's like a lady who looks like a cat. 
basically. Sci-fi space, babe. Yeah. As opposed to as these helicopters come down and the people inside of it come out, um, we get basically humanoid hyenas and minks, which are animals that look like humans. The key difference. Yep. Uh, it's like Rocksteady and Bebop. If you're yeah. looking for a... Or like uh, like the Disney Robin Hood uh, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Basically, if you're English and you're a furry, this might be part of your personal genesis. I'm not going to... I'm not casting aspersions. Um, yeah, man. I support anybody's whatever. Exactly. So, um, you know. <laughs> so, um, when Nick, like, goes to help the cat lady, she called him Master, which is kind of weird. Yeah, you know. Um, and... This is weird. Submission. <laughs> yeah. So when uh, so the uh, the helicopters land and the uh, hyena and mink headed guys basically get out and apologize to Nick for any inconvenience, which but weirds Nick out. Nick Nick starts out of the way. Yeah. Nick starts yelling at him, and a human in sort of a sci fi fantasy garb, you know, like a Ming the Merciless kind of look, basically, mm. um, comes out and cuts the head hyena guy in half with a blaster. Yeah. Saying, like, hey, you don't talk sass to humans, buddy. You're yeah. going into recyclement. Exactly. He introduces himself as Lee Shar and apologizes for the hyena's rudeness. Nick is extremely confused, and so he Captain Kirk hammer blows Lee Shar in the face, steals his gun, and says he wants answers. What is this crazy talking zoo? Yep, what the F, guys? You're cutting people in half right in front of me. Everything's weird. There's a hot cat chick. And weird an- animal dudes, too. <laughs> Before he can get any answers, Nick gets knocked out by the body suspended by the harpoon that was previously <laughs> shot from one of the gunships. And he gets, I mean, all right. Exactly. Yeah, he gets taken prisoner as the cat lady runs off. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just wondering, like, why the hell did this human save me? Yeah. And the first name drop for Kanita is, or Kanita? Kanita, I think. Yeah. Um. So Nick gets packed into a gunship and is taken to the massive and is sort of taken to a, a city with a massive citadel above it, and then is further packed into just kind of a, a murder buggy, like a like a <laughs> dune buggy that's basically got a lot of skulls and armed dudes on the sides of it, essentially. Yeah. Uh, as they drive through the city, Lee Shar explains that all of these animal guys are UGs and are slaves of the human masters. There's all kinds of animal dudes in here. They seem to all be mammals, though. They're doing different stuff. There's, like, cow dudes and sheep dudes and dog dudes and blah, blah, blah. Some goat dudes. Yeah. And then, you know. All this yeah, stuff. <laughs> There's all kind of, yeah. But suddenly, not all is well because their death buggy is attacked by petrol bombs. Oh, my God. We are going to clear this place out right the fuck now. As Lee Lee Shard's predator goons attack the the ambushers, Nick hears a voice in his head, a telepathic message from an eagle being called Kanita. Meanwhile, Lashar and his troops have captured a wolfman, and they handcuff him to the back of the murder buggy and lead him into the Citadel. Um, And much to, like this dude nick just being like what the hell guys you're driving really fast and they're like oh no check it out we'll drive even faster the wolf can keep up yeah he's a wolf dude he's fine (laughs) yeah that's like very nonchalant (laughs) well also they don't really care that much because they're like evil slave master guys yeah pretty much so nick asks when they arrive at the citadel nick asks that gruff the wolf man not be executed and so instead he's made nick's personal slave and is ordered to explain to him what the heck is going on on this crazy planet (laughs) 
Now, of course, Leeshar also at this point is like, look, man, I don't think you're from here. You're going to be locked in this really nice, lavish room for a little while while we figure out what the hell. You know, they want to toss him right in prison because it might just be a mistake. So they just kind of toss him in a nice place, but lock him in. So it's a good best yeah, of both worlds kind of situation. So, yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, obviously evil, but I mean, clearly. Well, they're, you know. the, they're the rich kind of evil, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um,. Yeah, so Nick gets locked in, and he be, and he talks to Gruff about the his, about uh, what's going on here. Uh, the the lowdown is that UG is short for eugenic bioform. They were I don't know how that's short for that, but well, you know, eugenic whatever. UG. I don't know. Uh, yeah. They were created centuries ago to be slaves to the humans with different animal traits, allowing different species to specialize in different kinds of jobs. So like now the predators, like the cops and the soldiers and stuff, and blah blah blah. Hmm. Um, anyhow, now people are fighting back, and it's time uh, they're trying to rebel against the humans. We also learn that uh, Kanita was an attempt to make an eagle Yuji, but it went wrong, and he became a powerful psychic and escaped. But who can say if he's still around or whatever? I mean, clearly he is. What with the telepathy and such. Mm. That night, as Nick sleeps, a shadowy figures enter his. A shadowy figure enters his window. It's the cat lady with a knife to his throat. Next episode, breakout. So, yeah, I guess, spoilers, she doesn't kill him. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say right off that I'm excited to read, to start, to get to, to get to, to get to Meltdown, to get to Meltdown Man. Um, I want to give a shout out to Meltdown Man on Instagram, who is one of our big Instagram followers and likes all of our posts and stuff. Super appreciate it. He's a good guy. Uh, awesome. And What's yeah, up, Meltdown Man? Exactly. Good choice of names. And this story is going to be with us for a long time. It's got, I'm so excited. I believe it holds the record for longest sort of straight collaboration between an artist and an author as Alan Hebden writes and Massimo Bellardinelli draws all like 50 issues that come out one week after another for this thing. And that's awesome because it not only does it look really good, but I really just out the gate enjoy the story. Yeah, the achievement of it is is kind of amazing when you think of it. Yeah. But uh, so oh. Do you think like Gruff is related to the McGruffs? Well, I mean, he's a dog, so he might eventually evolve into McGruff, you know, because dogs are evolved wolves, right? Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. Take a bat out of crime. Wow. Hey, speaking of, I guess, popular culture things that our, that our British listeners won't understand for once. Go. Oh. <laughs> but speaking of um, excellent art and writing, Fox, I guess. Oh, fuck yeah. And, and, oh, so and as opposed to thrills that go really long, one that's just going to go two issues. Uh, what the fuck? Yeah. I want more of this. Soon enough. Thrill 5, Killer Watt. So awesome. Script robot for Killer Watt, Pat Mills. Art robot, Kev O'Neill. Letter robot, Tony Jacob. So, this is another tale of comic rock, supposedly inspired by this anthology album called Killer Watt that has like a bunch of, uh, I'm going to say, sort of 1980s semi-hard rock, like hard rock acts. Like it has like uh, nice. Judas Priest and um, what's his name? Oh, uh, that Cat Scratch Fever guy. And it's oh, got, yeah. Got yeah. Journey. It's got Aerosmith, all that stuff. Um, Damn. <laughs> anyhow. Ted Nugent, that's what I'm thinking of. Anyhow, um, but and it's an, it's another one where sort of the title has suggested the um, the story as opposed to the actual contents of the song or album. That's pretty true. Yeah. So here we go. We're, on the, we're once again on the world of Termite. 
It's a futuristic world. It's got huge tube highways that are patrolled by the evil head of the tube police, Torquemada, who is sort of a Warhammer 40k KKK dude, I want to say. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Or like, well, actually, if you're into Warhammer 40k, he looks just like sort of a robed, um, like just Eldar Guardian, I guess. Like just a regular yeah, or like Eldar a guy. Yeah, of some kind. Yeah. yeah. Well, like the or, or like a farseer, I guess. He's kind of got that yeah. sort of peaked, peaked head of an Eldar guy in 40k. But anyhow, enough of my nerdiness. Oh shit! It's a giant bird. Yeah, he's not. Also he, a rocket. He's doing a photo shoot on a uh, tube train when they're attacked by a goonie bird. Oh my god. A Goonie Bird is a giant cross between a jumbo jet and a condor. It's gigantic. It's like a gigantic <laughs> plane with a bird mouth and talons and stuff. It's crazy, man. It grabs the um, the tube liner and carries it to the top of a giant destitute skyscraper that's just standing in the middle of the of the earth, like with a ton, like its base being like it looks like the. N- gnarled roots of a giant tree but it's just all these yeah. skyscrapers like melted together it's really cool looking and it's got babies yeah and, and the goonie birds to- yeah feeding all the people inside the train to its babies that are also planes with terrifying bird mouths <laughs> so hey come on torquemada protect us right you're like the super dude well luckily we found one lift bag that will allow someone to escape unharmed oh uh, will it be the lady with the baby no. no, nah, dude, it's uh, Torquemada. He's yeah, going to go. Bitches. He will meditate on their heroic deaths at some point. Yeah, you know. <laughs> right now I got to get home. I yeah. got I got to teach people how to hate. <laughs> on the ground, Torquemada follows these massive wires that are like teleport wires that they, they they look like huge phone wires but they're for teleportation to a transmission statement to te- station to teleport home. The mm-hmm. station is a mix of basically like a bus station and like a telephone switch panel, basically. Yeah. Um, which is further borne out when we see that teleportation basically takes you to a huge tunnel full of just people and stuff. People commuting, all like sitting there, flying through space, items being shipped, planes, other things. It's a, it's totally awesome chaos. Yeah, it's like all electric. Yeah everything it's, yeah, like it's neat yeah you, to the could, point where like in certain places the lines are down and people have melded uh <laughs> together through a sea of neutrons yeah, exactly it's yeah it's like they um you're basically teleportation they sort of convert you to electrons and send you down the line but when you're in the line as an electron you convert back into sort of a physical form inside that space which is really really crazy that's awesome <laughs> um back in the real world we see that the um, we, we see that the teleportation station personnel actually turn out to be allies of the mysterious freedom fighter nemesis, the warlock. Credo, Credo! <laughs> have uh, who who are now alert who now alerted who, sorry who alert nemesis Torquemada's current predicament traveling through the teleportation lines unaccompanied so nemesis goes to take him down as Torquemada flies over the sea of souls where an accident of some kind have caused the bodies of teleporters to fuse together making a nightmare sea of neutrons as cool dudes hover surf over them and like Guess who's hiding in that sea of, like, insanity? Ah, from the depths of that sea flies the mighty Blitz Sphere of Nemesis, the Warlock! 
Credo! Credo! It flies to attack Torquemada's ship and the teleportation lines. But uh-oh, in the real world, Torquemada's troops are preparing to electrocute the lines, which will destroy Nemesis. But they can't, because it would also... Because Torquemada's in the blast radius and would destroy him too. And like thousands of innocents, but who cares about that, whatever. Yeah, um, you know, whatever. But So he calls his people. <laughs> well, with a slip of a finger, one of the goons accidentally does hit the line with 20,000 killer watts, hence the title, um, which yeah. starts zapping people and basically causing a huge apocalypse inside the teleportation lines. The only hope of both Nemesis and Torquemada is to dial an outside line, which will let them leave the teleportation system. But and the, suddenly <laughs> manifest in the real world. It's nuts. Absolutely. Yeah, well, they finish teleporting because they teleport into this whoever answers the phone. <laughs> so great. The guy Torquemada calls, though, is busy torturing and can't hang up or and can't pick up. Torquemada is killed. Oh my god! Meanwhile, a cute chick that Nemesis looks up in his little be- in his little black book is always He's willing to pick super. up for him. Yeah, definitely. You know. <laughs> and his ship spontaneously appears in her living room, and she just sits on the nose of it, like, "Hey, baby, you can call me anytime." <laughs> All's well that ends well, but wait. Torquemada isn't destroyed. His body is dead, but his id, his personality, his will lives on. Never fear, termite. Torquemada will return. As will Nemesis, but not until Prague 222 in July of 1981. What the hell, man? Oh, it's going to be good. Now. <laughs> I want mean, it now so bad. You know, they, they, they got collected editions, but you'd be spoiling yourself, dude. You don't want to do that. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I kind of got to hold off. All of our thrills, all the stories for this week, or for this month, the second half of September 1980. Oh my god, we only covered two progs, but it seems like there's so much going on this time. Oh, it was a thrill overload. Absolutely. So, what is your top and bottom thrill for this month? Man, this is really rough. I have to really think. You know what? You know what? Here's what I'll say. Oh, and everything also, oh, at this going on go a ahead. standard thing that one page comics like Dash Decent can't be your bottom thrill because oh, that's just too easy. <laughs> I, hate, I hate that you had to remind me of that. Sorry, buddy. So all of the stuff in here was super good, mm-hmm. but I am going to call out um, Meltdown Man as my absolute favorite. It um, it starts strong, man. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it it's no nonsense in in the first Prague. Right, it it just kind of sets you up. Suddenly, he's in this place. Some cool stuff's happening. Massimo Bellardinelli's back. I fucking love that guy, especially the the cityscape that he does and yeah. all of the detail he's putting into characters. Um, the the hero is fairly understandable. He's not like this Mach One, like oh, I'm jaded or whatever. Mm-hmm. He sees people die, and he's not nonchalant about. It. He's like, hey, man. Don't be fucked up. Where am I? Stop killing dudes. Yeah, definitely. Like, he's just a he's a good guy, but he's also not entirely a super good guy. He's also a I mean, he's an SAS officer, so he's going to punch you. He's going to pull a gun on you. Yeah. I will say right? that. Yeah. I love Massimo Bellardinelli. Um I think that he can be a little weak 
in his art just when he draws like regular people and regular stuff mm-hmm. i think but he is really makes up for it by his ability to draw like monster people and like crazy yeah. stuff basically and so this thing that lets him to draw primarily like mutant monster men and crazy sci-fi vistas and stuff is really just designed to play precisely to his strengths you know absolutely and yeah i mean you know the the main protagonist here isn't exactly like the most amazing looking dude but he looks cool enough yeah he's no I'm, yeah i don't want to yeah i don't want to diss him too much about that stuff because I, I i really like him as an artist it's just sort of you know everybody has their 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 the, what they're really good at and what they're less good at and i think that you know he's good mm-hmm. he's certainly fantastic as a as, you know, doing humans and stuff, but he's really shines okay. with like, here's a wolf man and a cat lady and a crazy, um, eagle dude and stuff like that, sure. you know? Well, and especially like the city, like he loves drawing yeah. bulbous, weird imagery. Definitely. But, uh, I think like with a lot of new progs or a lot of new thrills, generally the start is always a little bit like, it's always tends to be a bit rough. This one out the gate is very interesting. I'm mm-hmm. not saying it's like fucking invasion or anything like that, but it's actually captured my interest. Yeah, as it starts with something a, that's new. Starts literally w- with a bang, which I always appreciate. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. But what's your so, bot? What, what's your bottom thrill? Which one, or even if you know, maybe even not the worst one, but just which one was the least thrilling to you? I guess. Ah, uh, oh God, that's really difficult. I have fucking green co- cross code. No. Uh, <laughs> um. Oh man, I really do have to think. I'll tell you if <sighs> I'll go with Mean Arena just mm. because like it's so I am interested in it and all of that, but there wasn't a lot of development, mm-hmm. I guess, right? Like the guy shows up and he plays the thing and he shoots a guy in the head and the shooting the guy in the head was the great part, but they spent like all of two or three pages recapping what happened at the end of the last one, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, all right, just get this thing started. And, and that's probably the worst that I've got for it. I mean, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> so, so how about yourself, man? What's your top? Oh, man. I mean, like you said, this is such a good month, dude. Um, mm. All this stuff is like so many of these are classic stories. Um, and they're just creators at, 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 at the top of their game. And it's hard to, and it's honestly, these are my favorite months. I mean, of course they are the ones where we have to really, where it's both hard to choose a top and it's hard to choose a bottom, you know? Yeah. Um, it's really, it's an embarrassment of riches. It, I would agree. You know, they wanted to really make this, um, th- this like first month really sort of blast out of the gates and make everybody want to read 2000 AD. And I feel like they really succeeded with that. Yeah. You fucking nailed it. Um, I would say for my top, I gotta give it to Judge Dredd, dude. Um, Hell yeah, bud. We're in, you know, I always call, call it uh, Cursed Earth Protocols, where we're in the middle of one of these, ju- like, genre-defining Judge Dredd epics, and everything's gotta, like, blow it out of the water to not pick Judge Dredd. But in this one, man, there's so much awesome Judge Dredd stuff. There's, like, Mean Machine going to four and headbutting everything into existence. <laughs> um, I really like the, uh, the Grunwald's, like, alien forces. They got hairy robots covered in human scalps and, like, the, the, uh, the moral ambiguity of this judge child. Like, do we want to save him or, like, what's going on with that? Like, just uh, that conversation we had at the end of Judge Dredd this week. 
is a really great is a really great thing that I don't expect to see in a ton of children's comics like with 2080 yeah. at this point, you know. I I have a little bit of a theory working off of it is that like it's interesting that a guy named Joe also covers his face completely uh and is with Joe Dredd Wait. who also covers his face completely. Holy shit. My mind just exploded. Yeah. Oh my so, god. Whoa. I'm what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? I'm very interested in like how that turns out in a big way. No, for real. Okay. Um <laughs> and then man for my bottom thrill, I think I'm going to go with you on on Mean Arena. Um mm. basically just because uh, like the the writer for Mean Arena has his moments, but like Tom Tully is also this guy who can kind of dirtle around a little bit. Um, um like where things go ahead kind of slowly. Like you kind of called it out in Mean Arena this week where the first two pages of this uh, were like the first two pages of Prog 79 are, exa- are the same, cover the same ground as the last two pages of Prog 178, you know? Exactly. Like just sort of telling the same thing where like one's like, oh, this kid died of a, of a heart attack thing and here's Matt Talon to take his place and then in the next one it's like, and it's like whoa it's Matt Talon and then the and then the next one starts with oh this kid died we need someone to take his place whoa it's Matt Talon you know <laughs> yeah like that's kind of a bummer just in terms of storytelling it means it's sort of one thing happen you know we just there's so much overlap in the storytelling that it makes it very slow especially if you're reading it the way we are sort of one week after another you know well they could have taken those three pages to just like explain more of the game yeah right i feel like you know always with these future sports where we are sort of trying desperately to figure out what the rules of the game are and how the game is played and stuff like that don't get us wrong like the action stuff is fine but if you have context it's a lot more enthralling yeah uh, heroes like i liked it when they took time out to just say this is how this works yeah, it's one of those appeals to rule to world building. I think that can be overdone sometimes, but like just an idea, you know, I think we have a decent idea of how um, street football works, at least until they start bringing out more weird stuff. It's not like Inferno, which I feel like we were still like learning new key parts of the game very late in the story. Oh my god, when it was nearly about to end, for God's <laughs> yeah, sake! Yeah, where it's like, whoa, there's that that's been going on this whole time, Jesus, you know. <laughs> it's just like here's another way to earn points mm-hmm. also it's very important to this story yeah so exactly but yeah so yeah so that that's my feel yeah i got dread in the top mean arena at the bottom but mm-hmm. i'm super excited for everything this is one of these ones where even though mean arena might be at the bottom of my thrill power it's still way above the uh x you know it's still in the green in terms of quality of of, of story you know this is a really great place to start yeah. Like, in general. Definitely, yeah. And I hope, you know, if you're a new listener, that you're both interested to hear what's going to happen in 2000 AD and to maybe go back and check out some of our other stuff. We got 54 episodes before this, and I think they're all really <laughs> fun. Like, we're, Oh, of course they are. We're having a great time doing this 2000 AD show and reading these comics and talking about them and stuff. It's something that I feel like, you know, we've been doing it for almost, like, nah, like, like... 10 months now or something like that since last October. And, um, it's really just, um, it's really great. I really think that, um, this is, this is really good stuff worthy of your time. And it's something that I really enjoy spending time with my buddy Fox talking about it twice a week. Absolutely. And, you know, look, if you've got ears and you're checking out this podcast, like comment, subscribe, check out episode one. 
uh, realize that, you know, maybe our audio quality ain't great, but you don't have to read along to enjoy it. But they were fine. It does help Whatever. With <laughs> <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can find Space Banner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact me at Space Spinner 2000. That's the, just the, you know, 2000 at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at Space Spinner 2K. For everything else, just look up Space Spinner 2000 and we should be there. I love to hear from you. It always makes me feel great when people, you know, interact with us on social media because it makes me know that you're out there. And we've had a couple of months where we're just shouting into the void, so which I appreciate. Um, feedback Don't be a and ghost. stuff. Yeah. We're also on, um, have a thread on the 2000ad.com official forums as well. So, you know, find us there too. Hey, why not? And, yeah. you know, you could sign up for the forums. There's a bunch of cool info there. Mm-hmm. It's actually kind of a neat place to even, like, skulk around. <laughs> Absolutely. So, tune in next Monday as the quest for the Judge Child concludes. Johnny Alpha gets a new case. I think you're going to like it. It involves time travel. Uh, the Mean yes. Arena rolls on. Tharg gets a new assistant editor. And also, oh. and also check back here on Thursday for the first of our Space Spinner 2000 collector episodes as we, uh, you know, as, as we get things started off with a bang with the uh, mortal Judge Dredd story, The Cursed Earth. Oh, yeah. Until next time. One. Yeah, it's very, it's very good. Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Blondie, 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 Bl